Okay, if you would turn in your Bible to Psalm 18, or in your worship guide, that's uh, page 9. This is part 2, Psalm 18. We started last week doing verses 1 through 19, and this week we continue with verse 20. Here's what I want to do as we read this. I want to read, the psalm is meant to go all together. So I want to read the whole psalm. But your worship guide only starts in verse 20. So tell you what, have your worship guide and listen, and then I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a signal right before it gets to 20 so you can follow along, okay? All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 18. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang these. He sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress my deliverer. The Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the winds. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. And your rebuke, Lord, with the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high, and he took a hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. And they confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now verse 20. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him. And I have kept myself from sin. 
The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into night, my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against the troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his ways are perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your, save, you make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back until they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise, and they fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as windblown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people, and you have made me the head of nations. People I did not know served me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart, and they come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise me to my rock. Exalted be God my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that in this time the words of my mouth the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seen. Okay. Man, what a song. It's a big one. Let's, uh, before we get into this second half, um, starting with verse 20, let's just quick look back to last week, what we learned in the first half of the psalm, uh, because that kind of sets the tone for what we need to pick out from this half of the psalm. So first, we learned that David, King David, is the one who wrote this. Uh, we learned that David originally wrote this. We see the first version of this in 2 Samuel chapter 22. 
And it was a song that he sang when the last of Goliath's family and the last of Saul's family uh, finally died. The last great opponents to his throne finally died. He stood and sang this song. Second Samuel 22 one is a little bit different. So what we see here in Psalm 18 is like the edited version. This is edited down and it's put in the Psalter so that the whole congregation of God's people from then and for all time into eternity can sing this song. So this is like the public published version. We know that because in the title it says to the choir master. Remember, every psalm is good for singing, but at least 55 of them bear this special title that, that to the choir master, which says, hey, this was written specifically to sing uh, in the temple or in church, right? Okay, so that's what this is, Psalm 18. That's the background. Now, the genre. It's a love song. It starts and ends with love. It starts with, I love you, Lord, my strength. In that opening verse, love, that's like the mushy kind of love. That's the feelings, mushy kind of love. I love you, Lord, my strength. And then it ends with God shows his unfailing love. That's his covenant love. It's his said. What kind of love he shows us in the gospel. Starts and ends with love. This is a love song. And that should inform the way that we read it. Love songs are useful for all time. Even today, love songs have existed in, uh, I, would, I, I don't know if there's love songs in every single culture in the world, but I think probably. Uh, but they're useful, they're tools. They're not an end in and of themselves, they're a means to an end. We sing love songs because they express our affections for someone else. But they also stir up our affections. They stir up our feelings. Remember we talked about the sort of the image of uh, maybe a couple who uh, is in love, but maybe the, the, you know, the love on a particular day has the fire has gone a little cold, so one of them walks over to the stereo and turns on the love song, and it helps to stir up the affection in the room. Singing love songs, they're useful. They're meant to make us and to help us feel things. So they talk about the kinds of things that surround love, the kinds of circumstances. They talk about the things that our loved ones do that stir up our affections. And that's what David is doing in this song. In the first half, he talks about God being his refuge, the one that he hides out in, kind of like he hid in the rocks from Saul. He talks about God being his rescuer, like the people of Israel were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Talks about God being his strength, like God gave him strength when he was a boy and he battled against Goliath. He remembers all of these things about his personal and the people's relationship with God. And he sings about it. And the whole point is stirring up love. So that's what we saw in the first hymn. Now, Second half, it gets a little heavier with the content, but we're still in love song territory. So as we read this, we need to remember that David is expressing his feelings. He's expressing his beliefs about who he thinks God is and who he thinks he is. He's singing about and he's singing for 
his relationship with God and the people's relationship with God, including ours, our relationship with God. So, as we look at the rest of this today, in part, what we're looking at is a picture of what it looks like to be in love relationship with God. Just like you can turn a love song on in the stereo, and if you're in love with somebody, you can go, if it's a good love song at least, you can go, that's it. That's what it's like. I think about the Brian Adams song, When You Love Someone, which I might put in next week's weekly email, you never know. It's like that. When you love somebody, it's like this. So that's where we are. That's kind of the genre. Okay, now let's get into the content. Part two. Um, now, as we look at this second half, uh, standard disclaimer, there's a lot of stuff here. We can't, we can't turn over every rock, but I want to turn over the big things. And I think the biggest, if we're, if we're going on a hike, we're examining this, and we're turning over rocks and leaves, and examining trees and looking at the view, we can't stop at every viewpoint in this psalm, but we want to stop at the grand you know, viewpoint, right? We want to get the big picture, the big idea. I think that I think that maybe for us right now, the, the grand viewpoint to look at the second half of this psalm, the most important thing we could talk about is 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 looking at this and answering uh, one question, and that is, are we in a place? Are you in a place? Am I in a place? where the content of this song, we can sing it honestly to God. Can this song be our love song? Not just one we listen to, not just one that we're around, but ours. Can we sing this to God? That's the big thing I want to pull out of this second half. So, uh, all right. Well, we have uh, a few sections here. Starts off, he says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me. That's David talking about himself or the singer. Anybody who sings this is supposed to be able to say that. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. He was my rescue. He was my refuge. He was my strength. Because I'm righteous. Because I have clean hands. It was a reward. So far, can you sing this song? Okay, keep that in mind. Then he goes on. This next session, he continues to talk about um, the kind of person, he's talking about himself, the kind of person who can sing this love song. He says, I've kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I'm not turned away from his decrees. I've been blameless before him. I've kept myself from sin. Here we have it again. He's rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Okay? That's the first section. David starts off, the kind of person who can sing this song. In fact, he starts off with answering our question. What's our big question for today? Can you, can I, can we sing this love song to God? And David starts off with, the kind of person who's singing this song here is a person who is uh, keeping God's ways, uh, has clean hands, he's blameless. Uh, in fact, 
this person is so blameless and so clean that all of the things that this person has been talking about so far, God's rescue, his, his strength, all that stuff, refuge, it's all like a reward for that person's righteousness. This is getting harder and harder and harder. Do you guys see how, here's this look, really good love songs. You're not just supposed to turn them on and listen to them. You're supposed to identify with them, right? You're supposed to turn it on, listen to it, and go, yeah, that's our song. That's our song, baby. And, and feel it. It's like you're singing to each other. And then David gets to this part of the song, and he's reflecting on who he is. Or, since he's writing for the congregation, who the members of the congregation are supposed to be as they sing this song to God. And he starts off, and it's like he sets a bar for who's qualified to sing this, and the bar is way, 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 way up here. And when I read this, I, I know that, first of all, my first feeling is I am not, well, I'll just answer, oh, can you sing this song? I don't feel qualified to sing this. And then my second feeling that I feel uh, is maybe a little bit of, I don't think anybody here is qualified to sing this. And then I feel this other thing, which is a little bit of anger, because I know for a fact David is not qualified to sing this. Uh, you know, David was called the man after God's own heart. He was the anointed king of Israel. He was kind of a prefigure uh, type of Christ. It was meant to sort of give Israel an idea of what the Messiah would be like. But when you read David's story, this is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you look at his whole life as a whole, and he was not a good person. Um, David, if he lived in our time, we would cancel him pretty quick. Everybody would cancel David. We would be unanimous across across the country and across churches. David gets canceled. Uh, David, yes, was early on, man after God's own heart, and doing all this awesome stuff in God's name, showing people what God is like. Uh, but then we find out that he is a, he's a serial adulterer. Uh, he cheats on his wife so many times we can't even tell who his first who his actual wife is because he has so many of them. In fact, the first one, um, well, we'll just just leave serial adulterer. Uh, he's a rapist, uh, guilty of sexual assault, using his power to assault a lady named Bathsheba. Well, voyeurism first, and then rape. He's a murderer. He killed Bathsheba's husband. He's a liar. He lied about it. Um, he's a dirty politician. He used his power to get out of getting in trouble about it. And yes, he repented and he was forgiven, but he still did it. He was a terrible father. He neglected his kids. When his daughter was raped, he did nothing about it. Didn't care for her. Didn't do anything about her brother who did it. Like he didn't care at all. And near the end of his life, he grew cold. He wasn't passionate about, and that was when he wrote this. After he had done all this. So, as I'm studying this, as we're looking at this song, our big question is, here's this great love song about David, God's man, or whatever. Us, God's people, or whatever, and this song that we're supposed to be able to sing, uh, kind of like, a, you know, in this beautiful way, like a couple who's been together forever goes to the stereo, turns it on, and dances in the living room, and it's so beautiful. 
This is supposed to be it. And it includes this part about in order to sing this, in order to be this person, you're blameless and you're clean and God is, the love relationship you have with God is all a reward for all the good that you have done. So the big question is, can we sing this song? The answer is no. So there's the first half of the big idea of the sermon. This is, if you want to, if you need to check out here, you can, and what you would get is true, it's biblical, but it's also really sad and dark. But it's, it's the first half. Uh, in fact, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's part of the groundwork for the gospel story. Even though God creates us in his image, even though we're all beautiful in his sight, even though every single human being is magnificently worth so much, all of us should be canceled. We look at David and we see this great sinner, and we look at David and we see somebody like us. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There is no one righteous. No, not one. And anybody who's without sin can throw the first stone which means that all of us should be frozen in this spot of going, whatever is here in this psalm, this beautiful song about being rescued by God, empowered by God, refuged by God, loved by God, it's not for me. So in order to really get this, we first have to get there. Now, also not the whole story. Because David, the sinner, did sing this. And it did make it in the Bible. Which means there has to be a way that David, in all of his sin, at the end of his life, when he had the bad record, could have stood up amid God's congregation, opened his mouth, raised his unclean hands and saying, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty. His laws are before me. I have not turned from his decrees. To the faithful, he shows himself faithful. To the blameless, he shows himself blameless. To the pure, pure, humble. So the big question is, how does David then sing this song. Because if David can sing this, then, then I can sing it, right? Okay. All right. Here in the song, in, in the actual content, and sometimes kind of reading a little bit in between the lines, um, we could find three ways that sinful King David is able and qualified to sing this song. To sing a song about being in love with God with nothing in between him and the holy, righteous Lord of all. Three ways David can sing this song honestly. Here they are. First, David can sing this song if he's singing about grace. And I think he is. When David sings this song, he is singing covenantally. That's the technical way of saying it. 
When he says that he has kept God's ways, God's laws, and he's blameless, he is speaking in covenantal language. David is reflecting on God's grace. Now, God's covenant, remember what a covenant is? It's the terms of, of a relationship. It's, an un, it's a relationship that is, that is sealed in blood, an agreement sealed in blood between two parties. And God's covenant with his people, that's his relationship with us, his relationship with David, his relationship with me or you, his covenant is a covenant of grace. And that means when God relates to people, the foundation of his relating is grace. And when David speaks here, he's speaking about grace. Let me show you. Um, 21 through 24. Oh, yeah. 21. I have kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I've not turned from his decrees. I've been blameless. I've kept myself from sin. He's rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. If, if David was talking about his actual moral performance, when he would have sang this the first time, he would have stood up in front of the people saying this, they would have stoned him. But he's not. This is a song where he is reflecting on God's grace. His covenant of grace. So, in God's world, when we live in covenant relationship with God, righteousness doesn't come to us. We are not, as God's people, a righteous people because we do everything right. No. We're not accepted by God because we do everything right. No. We are accepted by God by way of faith and repentance. Turning away from our sin and turning toward him. The only person who's ever been accepted by God because he did everything right is the man Jesus Christ. And because of him, God's covenant of grace is open to all. So that anybody who would turn from their sins and turn toward God would be accepted into God's covenant family. And every single person, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how uh, unclean your slate is, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees the covenant keeper, Jesus. So every sinner in this room, which is everyone here, and I'll be first, if you're leaning on Jesus for your righteousness, if you're turning away from self-righteousness and turning to him, when God sees you, he sees a person who is blameless. He sees a person who is clean. He sees a person who is righteous and a person who should be rewarded with an unending, uh, unmeasurable, depth love relationship with him. Because he sees Jesus. So when David writes this, that's what he has in mind. He's writing, he's looking at his life through the lens of grace. So if David can sing it, can you sing it? Can I sing it? That's the first way. He's writing about grace. There's the second way David can sing this song, as if grace wasn't enough. The second way, 
David is writing about faith. David is speaking ideally. He's he's speaking about the ideal relationship with God. This is about faith. As the king of Israel, well, let me back up. As a human being, in an ideal, perfect world, David would live without sin. Just like you and me as human beings would live without sin in a perfect world. But as the king of Israel in a perfect world, he would live without sin, leading the people in righteousness. Now, David falls far short of both of those standards. But what he's doing here is he's writing about the way things should be and reflecting on the ideal. Most songs do this. I I mentioned Brian Adams a second ago because Brian Adams is awesome. It's one of the most wonderful things to ever come from Canada. It's amazing. And I love Canada. That was not a knock on Canada. It was how much I love Brian. Uh, One of my favorite Brian Adams songs is the song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Maybe you know that song. It was on the soundtrack to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is an awesome movie. Terrible special effects. Uh, But the hook, the chorus in that song, he says, Brian is singing to his loved one. He says, everything I do, I do it for you. Do it for you, baby. All of my life. Now, if Brian Adams is a real person with real flaws, just like you and me, then is it true that everything he does, he does for his loved one? No. But that's an ideal. It's an idyllic picture of love. And that's what David's doing. He's talking about a perfect world where he is keeping God's ways. Now, uh, that's not just something David is doing because it's something we do in fancy love songs. He's expressing faith that the ideal is actually more real. The ideal is more real. A poet didn't even know it. The ideal is more real than the so-called real world around him. Let me... Well... He says, listen to this, he says, you keep my lamp burning, the Lord turns my darkness to light. With your help, I can advance against the troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. It's like David is like a superhero. He can march against the whole army with God on his side. He can run up walls with God on his side. He can do all these amazing things. And some of us might sit back and say, that stuff doesn't happen in the real world. In the real world, that's not how it works. People, first of all, gravity. Second of all, one person never wins against the whole army. Uh, third of all, um, the real world doesn't really work like that. Good guys don't always win. Uh, people are people are terrible. God is not always with you. David must be naive here, thinking that he's always going to go about life being winner. What David is expressing is that life in love with God, the ideal, is more real than the the cynical outlook that we have on how broken the world is. When we want to talk about the real world, the real world, beneath the real world of the cynic, is a world of beautiful perfection. 
And why is that? Well, verse 30, because for God, his ways are perfect and his word is flawless. The whole point here is that David is expressing faith. That there's a reality deeper than what he could see. David had already expressed grace. He gets to love God not because he does good things and avoids bad things. He gets to love God because of God's grace. And now he's expressing his faith. He gets to love God not because he's a perfect lover, but because God is drawing him into a perfect world of love that exists because God exists. And God's the perfect father. You see it? So David is speaking through the lens of faith. The filter of faith. And we ask, can I sing it that way? You know, the story of the rich young ruler. This guy comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the guy says, oh, I've done all that stuff. That would be like, you know, you know, kind of like we talked about. David would have just stood up without the faith, without the grace, just said, I did perfectly. People would stone him. I wonder if people wanted to stone this guy when he said, I've kept all the commandments perfectly. But Jesus, I love how Jesus just, he just lets that roll. He goes, okay. Uh, there's one you lack. Sell everything you have and, and then come follow me. Why did Jesus say that? Is it because if the guy fulfilled that one more commandment, he would earn eternal life? No. It's because it's really hard for rich people to get into the kingdom. And is that because it's bad to have money? No. It's because when we lean on our self-sufficiency, on our resources, when we think we actually are keeping it, we can never get to Jesus. If this guy would have actually sold everything that he had and come to follow Jesus, do you know what he would have left? Nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus, who is the true rich man, who is eternal life walking and breathing. He would have had eternal life right there. David is showing us that when we turn away from our, when we turn away from what this actually sort of sounds like at first, self-righteousness. When we reject that and we locate our righteousness in God's grace, we're doing that by faith, of believing that that's more true, then actually what we find is the perfect God, the flawless God, shielding us, empowering us, acting as our rock, being in love with us. So those are two ways David could sing this. I told you there's three ways. Here's the last one. The last one um, David is speaking about Jesus. Uh, David is writing this prophetically. He's speaking covenantally. He's speaking ideally. He's speaking prophetically. He's speaking about grace. He's speaking about faith. He's speaking about Jesus. Now, look, here's how I know this. First of all, I know Jesus wasn't around when David was writing this much later in history, but the prophecies about Jesus were. That's why it was prophetic. The promises were. 
David is looking forward and he's writing this song, not just for him to sing, but for the Messiah, the better David to sing. Let me show you. Verse 37 says, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. I did not turn back until they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise and they fell beneath my feet. Now, if David was talking about himself here, this turns into a pretty dark and violent song. But he's not. Look at verse 42. I beat them. I beat my enemies as fine as windblown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. Same thing. You delivered me from the attacks of people. You made me the head of nations. People I do not know serve me. Look at verse 46. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God. He who is God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. David is talking about this picture of God, God making him defeat his enemies, subduing nations under him, and David beating them into fine dust. Now, this is about Jesus. Now, let's say well, you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about how David fulfilled this special role in redemptive history? Early in his life, God had made him a promise. It's called the Davidic Covenant. That David's throne would last forever. Uh, that God would establish David's throne above all other thrones. And that he would call David his son. And that's why David was called God's son, and David's sons were called God's sons, and ultimately why Jesus, the son of Mary, was called God's son, because he would be the final king that fulfilled the promise that would sit on the throne that was once David's, but then has been raised above all the nations as king of the whole world. Jesus, the son of God, the new David, king over everything. Right? Remember that? Well, God had promised it to David. Now remember when we did a long time ago Psalm 2? And this is, we're coming close to the end, I promise you. Remember when we did Psalm 2? It says, um, this is reflecting on that same promise God made to David. Uh, it says, God said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. For today I have begotten you. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. David is talking about this promise that God had made him. And then in Psalm 2, it says this, You will break them, you will break the nations with a rod of iron, and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Okay. David knew that he would one day have a descendant who would fulfill all the promises that God made about David's office, being the king of God's people. That that person would be raised as king of the whole world over all the nations that that person would be delivered by God from their enemies, and that person would be raised all the way to this ascended throne where uh, the whole world would serve him. David knew that. And he had written about it in a way using this image of crushing the enemies to find dust. Now, that's not like when you play somebody in basketball and you say, I'm going to pulverize you, I'm going to crush you. Not like that. The key is, David says, I'm crushing my enemies to find dust, or like Psalm 2 says, crushing my enemies into pot, like, like shards of pottery. Now we're getting to weird Bible land here. 
Check this out. In David's time, people who did pottery, potters, pottery people, they used to have this practice. And I don't know if people, Claire, maybe they do now. You, you can tell me because you know about this stuff. They used to have this practice where if they messed a pot up or an old pot got broken or chipped or became imperfect, then what the potter would do was they would take it and they would smash it and then they would stomp it up and then they would grind it up into fine dust so that they could take what was left and mix it in with a new batch of clay and reincorporate it into something new. So when David says, God, uh, you help me to crush my enemies like fine pottery, you subdue nations under me and we crush them to fine dust. What David is saying, reflecting on the fact that he's going to have this greater son, is he's saying God is going to make the greater son king of the whole world. And he's going to crush all of his enemies in a way, not where they're totally pulverized, but where they can be given new life. Where they can be integrated into new creation. So, how does David sing the song? Well, he's looking for writing this song for his great descendant who's going to be the king of the whole world who crushes the nations in order to incorporate them into the new creation. You see that? So, we're out of time. And I want to, let me just land it. Okay, here it is. Here's this great love song. We're not qualified to sing it. David's not qualified to sing it, but he does. If he can sing it, then we can sing it. How does he do it? He sings it by grace. Through faith, looking to Jesus as the one who brings him into your life. And that comes right from the text. Now, to close. Folks, every single Sunday, I get up here, we get up here, we sing songs about God and about loving God. We do a confession and assurance. It's all about loving God. We talk about serving the world in God's name. We talk about all the beautiful things that are supposed to be going on between us and God. And nobody here is actually qualified to enjoy the fullness of God's love. But he has offered it freely. Not just what we're doing here in the church, but a good reality of love that will blow your mind that's more real than everything you can see. And it's offered and given to you in Jesus. And you receive it by grace through faith. And not only do you receive it, you're invited to be a participant, a singer. And that's what Jesus does. So Jesus said, get rid of all your other stuff and come follow me. Jesus sings. He gives the king great victories and he shows unfailing love to his anointed to David and his descendants forever. Let's pray.